we are doing a series on the subject of life in the spirit. Uh, today is our part three. Uh, this will be the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Uh, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. You know, last time we saw from Romans chapter eight, uh, verses one to four. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live, who do not live according to the flesh but according to the spirit. You know, the Bible clearly states there is a promise in this place, in this passage. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And it further states, for those who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. It's very clear. So the question is, what is meant by living in the spirit and not living in the flesh. How do we understand that? For those who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. What's meant by living according to the spirit? The answer to this question is in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 to 2. Let's rise to our feet for the scripture reading taken from the epistles to the Romans, chapter 12, 1 and 2. Apostle Paul, Roma Puriyakirina Nirubam, Paniranda Adhigaram, Undru Mudal, Irandu Mudia. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 to 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, is good, pleasing, and perfect will. This is God's word kindly be seated. Now, what do we find in these two verses? All that we find in these two verses is, what should be the response of a Christian to the grace of God? Because in Romans chapter 8, Paul said there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So if we are in Christ Jesus and if there is no condemnation for us, what should be our response? And that's what Paul 
is explaining in these two verses. You know, we have titled this message as the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And, you know, sometimes we may wonder, we don't find the word spirit at all in these two verses. Whereas when we see in chapter 8, you know, you find the spirit of word being repeated again and again and again. Uh, we need to be aware in the Pauline Gospels, in Pauline Epistles, in the Pauline Letters, when he's talking about the Christian life, it is assumed that you cannot live a Christian life without the help of the Holy Spirit. So whenever you read Pauline uh, letters, you know, in the l every letter in the later part, he'll talk about Christian living. You, may not, you will not find explicitly the word spirit coming there, but it is always, it is understood that if you are a Christian, you cannot, l if you cannot live a Christian life without the help of the Holy Spirit. These two verses, they not only tell us about the Christian response, they also tell us as to how to live in this world. The problem is living in this world as a Christian. And these two verses, they teach us that. So in order to understand, I would like to draw attention uh, to this picture. The reason I have chosen this picture is to help us understand that we need to work out our Christian life. We need to work out our Christian life. See, we, we go to gym to work out our bodies. We don't go to gym to get our bodies. It should be very clear. We have a body, so we go to gym to condition and shape that body. How that happens? We go and do the workout. <coughs> Similarly, Paul says, because you are not under condemnation, Paul says, because you are not under condemnation, because the law of the Spirit has set you free from the law of sin and death, and because God sent his Son to die in your place, now you have been given a new life. Now work it out. Now you have been given a new life. Work it out. It's not going to happen on its own. Just, you know, we can keep sitting and, you know, just because we have equipments in the gym, it doesn't mean our body will become conditioned and we'll have the shape, we have to go and work it out. We have to sweat it out. So Paul is saying similarly, now you have been, the Holy Spirit is within you, now work out your spiritual life. You know, while we do nothing to earn our salvation, let this be very clear, we do nothing to earn our salvation, you know, we do everything to grow in our spiritual life. We do nothing to earn our salvation. We do everything to grow 
in our spiritual life. That's the reason Paul says, continue to work out your salvation. Do you know that verse? Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. What does he mean by that? He says, you know, work out with fear and trembling to discover what it means to be saved. Work out with fear and trembling to discover what it means to be saved. Because life in the spirit promises amazing transformation which is beyond our imagination, what God has kept in store for us. It is so great, work it out, work out, and find out what, has, what God has kept in store for you. You know, life in the spirit involves the whole person. You know, it involves your mind, it involves the heart, it involves the will, it involves the feelings, it involves the behavior. It involves every facet of our very being. You know, Paul says, when we are rude to our spouses, when we are mean with our children, when we are indifferent to our colleagues, when we are inconsiderate to our neighbors, when we cheat, in our workplaces and market areas, are we not denying the gospel? That's what Paul is saying. Are we not denying the gospel? Paul's understanding of Christian life is a transformation. It's a new life. It's altogether you know, a glorious life. You know, life in the spirit is a great life. Life in the spirit is a supernatural life. Life in the spirit is also a natural life that we live in this world. It is not that we live in the heavenly realms. We live right here in this world. So life in the spirit is a great life and it is a supernatural life, but it is also a day-to-day -day life, a very normal life. You know, that's the reason Paul said in Romans chapter 8, where, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you and I if we are in Christ Jesus, and if there is now no condemnation, do we realize that we are a chosen people? Because we did nothing for our salvation. We are a chosen people, God's special position. You know, if you think something, you have a diamond in your house, and if something special, how carefully you'll take care of that. It is something so special for you. You know, that's the way we are in God's hand. Because we are special, 
because we have been chosen, because God bought us with his blood, with his broken body, we are the treasured possession of God. Do we realize that? Can you say a big amen? Has this truth sunk deep into our hearts? And it is this truth which transforms our life. Have we taken time to think about this truth? You know, if there is one thing that still speaks to people outside is the life, the life that we live. You know, not what we preach, but the life that we live. You know, the quality of the life that we live outside uh, speaks to people. They might not acknowledge it, but it speaks to them. Even in the first century, people called the followers of Jesus as the people of the way. And it is not in a negative sense, it is in a positive sense. You know, I don't have time, I, otherwise I can give you, show you the letters, how they were talk about the Christians in the first century. These people are peculiar people. They don't do this, they don't do this, like that. So, you know, the life that we live, it speaks to the people. And, you know, are we not impressed were we not impressed by the life of Mother Teresa? The noble life, the selfless life. People across the spectrum, they are impressed by her life. It's not Christians alone. Non-Christians have written books on her because her life has impacted them. So life, Christian life, always impacts others. So how do we understand our passage of Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2. Let's ask three questions. Why do I do good deeds? Why do I do good deeds? Why do I obey God? And how do I lead a holy life? Why do I do good deeds? Why do I obey God? How do I lead a holy life? Now, why do I do good deeds is a very important question. You know, what is our motivation for doing good works? What is our motivation for working hard in our places, in our workplaces? What is our motivation? What motivates you to work hard in your workplaces? What motivates you to be kind to your spouses? What motivates you to be generous in your giving? You can uh, keep asking these questions. It's important for us to understand why do I do good deeds? You know, Paul says that's where the difference is between a Christian and all other kind of ethical living in this world, all other belief system whether people believe in God, they don't believe in God. The essential difference is when you answer this question, 
why do I do good deeds? You know, why, why do I say this is an important question? Because in this very city, there are people who are not Christians, they do very good deeds. They do very good deeds. There are people who excel in their work. You know, you all are aware. I don't have to name them. There are people who are kind to their spouses. And they are not Christians. And there are people who are more generous. You go to Kar Karnashraya, you will find how people come and they just, how generous they are. You know, we have right in the city, the so-called people who do good things. So people in your workplaces, especially youngsters, when you work, they argue, you know, we can do good things. What you're talking about, your Jesus came into this world, he died and he rose again. You know, it's all nonsense. Don't you see we do good deeds? And you cannot say no, because in front of you, they do better work than us. They even give you examples. See that Christian, what he's doing? And see here. So why do you have to be a Christian? It's very important for us to understand this question. Sometimes even people within the church, they believe that if we do good deeds, I'm a Christian. You know, it's very important for us to answer this question because if I'm a Christian because of my good deeds, then I have to throw away this book. There's no need for the New Testament, no need for the church. You know, there's no need. If good deeds will mark me as a Christian, then I don't need this. It's important. On the other side, you find other kind of people, the religious people. They are afraid. You know, they say, at least if I do some good work, God will give me some reward. At least, you know, when I do something wrong, it will even out. You know, ultimately when I die, I'll go to heaven. So their motivation is fear. Fear is not a good motivator that will come sometime later. So Paul says, what is important is not why we do, what we do, but why we do it. It's not about what really matters is not what we do, but why we do it. It's very important. That's where you find the difference between a believer and a non-believer. In a workplace, in a home environment, in the church, everywhere in the marketplace, you find a distinct difference between a believer and a non-believer. Now, I'll just quickly read a few verses. You know, the Apostle Paul was a religious person. And in Philippians chapter 3, 4 to 6, he says, 
if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Perfect man, perfect man. You know, he was living a godly life according to all the rules and regulations. He was wonderful. He was self-satisfied. He knew, oh, God cannot reject me. You know, I'm fulfilling all the laws and rules and regulations. And he always felt my life was pleasing to God. Till such time, he had an encounter with the risen Savior. The moment he had an encounter with the risen Savior, he writes in the very next verse, 7 to 9, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. No, you know what Paul says? Paul says, I have been saved to glorify my God. I have been saved just to glorify him. So now he says, whether I live or I die, my life belongs to God and to my Savior, Lord Jesus Christ. It's no longer I own my life because Christ has bought my life with his blood. So it's not that I own my life, Christ owns my life. I excel in my work to glorify my God. I am kind to my spouse because God has been infinitely kind to me. I am generous because God has been infinitely generous to me. He gave himself to me. That is the Christian life. If you are going to ask that everything you do, why you do it? What's the reason? What is the motivation? It is because of his kindness to me. The kindness I show to my wife is nothing compared to the kindness I have received from Jesus. If he had not been infinitely kind to me, I would have been lost. I would have been condemned. If I am not generous, you know, if I'm generous, it's because God has been so generous. 
now that is the christian life that is the motivation for the christian life that everything that you do you don't do it for yourself you do it for the glory of god hallelujah you excel in your work not that you make more money and promotion it will all come on on its own but you want to excel because you want to glorify god you are kind to others because you remember the kindness you received at the cross you cannot receive that kindness you cannot say you know i have received jesus was kind to me and i am unkind to others that is not a life that has been transformed it's important that we understand this so the question is in our christian life have we reached this place that every act you do do you do it because you want to glorify god every word that you speak do you speak to glorify god because of what jesus did for you on the cross therefore there is now no condemnation do you understand there is no condemnation for those who are in christ jesus do you understand that what you have received from god is infinitely valuable have you come to that place or are you increasingly aware of this realization that is christian life why do i do good the next question is why do i obey god the answer is in the first verse of the first uh, the first word of the first verse therefore that's the answer therefore why do i obey god therefore what is this therefore therefore means all that paul has mentioned from chapter 1 to chapter 11 therefore if you read chapter 1 to chapter 11 he will talk about how we are fallen sinful and how we try to you know gain our own righteousness and how god's righteousness is imputed to us and how law is um, not able to save us and how christ has redeemed us therefore therefore in other words he says the christian faith appeals to your intellectual it appeals to your mind you have to think what we have in christ you have to think we have to take time read understand what god has done that's what paul says therefore therefore keep thinking we do not live according to the feelings i feel like doing good so i do good no it's not that much more than that i do good because of what jesus did for me on the cross therefore therefore i do this you know people might say i'm a foolish man but doesn't matter they don't know what i've received from my god so the mind we are governed by the truth it's not by our feelings today i feel like doing this i do tomorrow i don't feel like doing i don't do no we are christian life is not like that it is governed by the truth because jesus said i am the way and the truth 
and the life. Amen. It is Jesus who governs our life. He gave his life to buy our life, to redeem us. Now that truth governs our mind. Let me put it this in a negative way. You know, Christian obedience is not a mechanical way of obeying. What do I mean by that? You know, you, if, if, you're, if you understand that, you know, people will bring, uh, people come to the meetings and then they say, you make a confession prayer, then they say yes, and then they say, now you have become a Christian. Now you are not supposed to drink, you are not supposed to smoke, you are not supposed to do this, and this is how you have to live. They give them a set of rules and regulations. Um, if, you if you think that what I'm trying to say is something strange, you know, if you read the missions book, you'll understand we have something known as a mission compound culture, uh, especially in India. How the Westerners came, then they had the mission compound, and uh, what the Christians did, they brought people from the villages, they became Christian, they brought here, and then what do they do? They drink, they wear, you know, and they dance. Uh, that's the way the, cr the tag is there for the Christians. You know, you, t you give them a set of rules and regulations, and then you feel they have become Christians. Now, before they became Christians, they were partying, they were smoking, they were drinking, you know, now what they are doing? They are not drinking, they are not smoking. Now what you have done? You have brought them from one club and you put them into another club. In this club, these are the rules. In this club, these are the rules. And then when people say, why you don't drink? I am I'm a Christian. Why you, do, why you do this? I am a Christian. Beyond that, you don't have an answer. Uh, that's why our young people, they struggle in their workplaces and they come under pressure because all through their life their parents told don't do this, don't do this, don't do this but they never gave them the reasons why the you should not do this and now in the workplaces they have immense pressure why you don't have sex? You know we are not supposed to have sex before marriage because I'm a Christian that's all we know not all most of the time I find young people struggling like that. Why you don't drink? Because I'm a Christian. You know, you know only do's and don'ts. That's why Christian faith is not that. It's much more than that. Why you don't do it? Because Jesus died for you on the cross and has redeemed you. He has saved you. He has not only saved your soul, he has saved your body, mind, heart, everything. I am a new person. Holy Spirit indwells in me. My body is holy. I cannot do with my body as I feel. That is why it is important we should know why do I obey God. See, as Louis said, Mere improvement is not redemption, though redemption always improves people. Mere improvement, just some change in behavior, is not redemption, though redemption always improves people. Salvation always changes people. 
but just few changes does not mean salvation. You know, the life of sanctification is not something an experience to be received. They say, now you are a Christian, you just pray, everything you will get. That's the reason I gave you, I showed you that picture. You have to work out your Christian life. I'm not against spiritual experiences. Of course, rich spiritual experiences always helps us in our sanctification. But if at all somebody had the glorious spiritual experiences, it was Paul. Paul is the one who is telling us how to live a Christian life. He says, your mind, your mind needs to be renewed. A renewed mind. You need to speak to your mind. You need to process your thoughts in your mind. You need to work out with fear and trembling to discover what it means to be saved. How many of us have been through this journey? We have been saved. Of course we have been saved. Okay. Have you worked out? Have you discovered what it really means to be saved? Are you still working? You know, Paul's language is continue to work out. Continue to work out. Not just yesterday. Till the last breath of your life, continue to work out what it means to be saved. Because it is so glorious. It is so big. It is not just a momentary transaction and everything is over. No. It's a lifelong journey. Lifelong relationship with our God. Are you on this journey? And Paul, the third thing, putting it in a negative way is, we should never be passive in our Christian walk. You know, abiding in Christ is never passive. It is active. There is so much that we need to do. Christ has done. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, we don't have to do anything to, for that. For those who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit, if we have to live according to the spirit, you know, Paul has given the instruction right from Romans chapter 12 to Romans chapter 16. If we have to do nothing, Paul would have stopped at Romans chapter 11 and you said, all be blessed. Glory, peace to you. He would have said. But Paul had written chapter 12 to chapter 16 to tell us, please go to gym every day and work out. How many of us work out our spiritual life? Work out. We work out our bodies. Body is so precious to us. But body is so fragile. It can just fail you in, in just like that. But we are so careful to work out our bodies. How about working out our spiritual life, our spirit? It's good. We should go to gym to work out our body. How about working out our own spiritual life? What are we doing? That's, that's what we find in Romans chapter 12 to 16. So then the question comes, how do I lead a holy life? Again, the answer is in the first verse. Therefore, 
I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. You know, in when Paul said, therefore, he was appealing to our? He was appealing to our? Mind. When he said, therefore, now, he says, in view of God's mercy, he's appealing to our heart. Mercy. God has been so merciful. You know, he's appealing to our heart. Mind alone is not enough. Your heart has to be touched with this gospel message. And he says, in view of God's mercy, you know, if we only speak the gospel to the mind, it doesn't bring about the transformation. The gospel has to go deep down to my heart. Both head and heart have to be transformed, have to be touched by the gospel message. And that's what brings about the glorious Christian life. The more you know this God, almighty God, how holy, he's, he's infinitely holy, and I'm, I'm a wretched sinner, and he's a compassionate God, and it should move our heart. It should move our heart. Gospel should move our heart, and that's what he says, in view of God's Mercy. We have not been saved because we are better than others, or I sing well, or I do this ministry, I do that ministry, or I was my great grandfather is a pastor, I am born in a Christian family. For generations we are we have not been saved because of all these credentials. That's what Paul said initially. We have been saved purely because of God's mercy. Amen. Amen. If our God had not been merciful, we would have been destroyed. It's God's mercy. Has it moved you? That's why the psalmist says in Psalm 116.12, What shall I return to the Lord for his all goodness to me? What shall I return to the Lord for all his goodness to me. This is the Old Testament language of what Paul is saying in view of God's mercy. What shall I return to the Lord for all his goodness to me? What, what's meant by mercy? Feeling pity. God feels pity for you and me. When we see poor people, helpless people, we feel pity. We feel when people are struggling. You go to a hospital, then you feel pity. People are in pain. You know, same way God feels pity for us. When he looked down, when he saw the humanity, he felt pity for us. 
He felt so sad for us. And he knew that something had to be done. And he also knew that we cannot save ourselves. The law cannot save ourselves. So he had to send his son. For what the law was powerless to do, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. Because God was merciful towards me. That is the salvation. Do you understand that? All the benefits and blessings that we receive in the Christian life is because of God's mercy. All that we have received is because of God's mercy. Do you realize that? You know, there was an infinite gap between God and man. You know, ancient people also recognized it. Have you ever wondered that you go to any village, one thing you will find is a temple. Have you ever noticed that? The reason there's a temple is ancient people, somehow they've recognized there was a superior power. There's a superpower, and we cannot reach out to the superpower, so we need a priest, and we need a sacrifice. That's the way we can reach the superpower. So they always felt there was a gap, a huge gap between man and God. And we know there is a gap because of what happened in Genesis 3. And God knew the only way that gap can be bridged is by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to die on the cross to take my punishment. And it is because of that, this morning I can call out to God and say, Abba, Father. It has not come easily. It has come with a price. While salvation is free, it cost him so much. Jesus had to die. Jesus had to endure as it moved our heart in view of God's mercy. If you say, I'm a saved person, I'm a Christian, has this truth gone deep down into your heart? And do you do everything because of this God's mercy? I excel in my work because of God's mercy. I am kind to my wife. I am kind to my spouse because of God's mercy. He was infinitely kind to me. I am generous in my giving because he was. He gave himself to me. You see the motivation, we are not following some rules and regulations. 
this is a motivation and this Christian life, if we live this life, wherever we are, we will, we ourselves will experience the transformation. We will understand the glory of salvation. We will understand what it means to be saved. And just because this becomes a motivation, God's mercy, the family is blessed. Because we no longer, I'm doing this because you are doing this. I'm doing this because of what Jesus did for me. The family is blessed. The workplace is blessed. The marketplace is blessed. Everything is blessed. Church is blessed because of God's mercy. This is salvation. Gospel transforms everything. It transforms every aspect of my being. Once I have been bought by God, no longer I belong to myself. In life and death, I belong to my God and my Savior, Lord Jesus Christ. I no longer belong to myself. So whether there is life, there is death, I know to whom I belong. Hallelujah. This is the Christian life. This is the gospel life. Are we living this gospel life? Shall we take some time and just look to the Lord in prayer? This gospel has to be pushed deep down into our heart because our heart desires several things. So we have to push it. And that's why Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work out. Work out. Don't look at others. Look within yourself and push the message of gospel deep down into every area of your being. Why do I do good deeds? Why do I do good deeds? Why do I obey God? How do I lead a holy life? Push the gospels deep down in every area, whether in your workplace, in your relationship, the way you handle your children, everywhere. Push the gospel down. Let the power of God transform our lives today. Let the message, the, there's power in the message, there's power in the gospel. Let that gospel transform our entire being, our mind, our heart, our will, our feelings, our behavior. And I'll, I can assure you, you will come out with testimonies. You know, there is somebody who came and asked me, why are you living like this? Why are you doing like this? Then you got the opportunity to share your gospel. That's the way to share the gospel. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Will you just say, Lord, I want this gospel deep down in my heart, deep down in my heart. I know this gospel. I have been born, I have been saved, I have accepted you. 
I know this, but Lord, I want the gospel to go down into my heart. Everything I do, O oh Lord, it will be for your glory, not for my glory. Everything, whether I'm in my workplace or in ministry or in teaching or a homemaker, O oh God, I'm a student, everything I do, O oh God, it will be for your glory and your glory alone, O oh Lord. We look to you this morning. Hallelujah.